Yo, this is the Ancient Texan. We're going to be talking to Matt Bailey. He's a activist, a wildlife biologist. Uh, he's also a poet. I'm going to do something a little different here. I'm going to have the first version here is going to be uh, mostly just Matt's poetry and a little short discussion after each one. Uh, and then I'll also publish the unedited version of Matt Bailey, the activist, wildlife poet. There's a little talking to begin with on both of these. An introduction to Matt just to give you a feel of who he is and then and the first one will jump from that straight into his poetry. And in the long version, we just, uh, except for two little edits to clean up some stuff, will be the whole uh, time I spent talking with Matt, a friend of mine. You could give us a little bit of your your background about uh, yourself, and I I know that your your work in nature, and I don't exactly know what you did, but I know that it kind of influences the way that you see everything. Uh, yeah, very very much so, uh, and you will see with uh, some of the the poems I I hope to present today, and also uh, just the way I express myself. I'll often use a, a metaphor. Um, for a, uh, a concept, because often, you know, you can use that metaphor and have like a whole big concept appear in someone's head um, without having to describe it all. Of course, the challenge is you don't want to slip into like jargon type things. Uh, for example, I'm probably going to read one today where before I start, I'm going to have to explain a certain piece of uh, shark anatomy in order for it to make a lot of sense. Yeah, that, um, I noticed even that picture that you have behind you right now. What is that, a seagull? Yeah, I just got that up the other day. Uh, that's actually a piping plover, uh, which is the bird that I spent most of my career trying to protect. It's an endangered species. Um, and actually, a friend of mine gave me that. It's a photo that he had taken. And uh, we had worked together out on, these birds nest on beaches. So we'd worked together out on the beach for a good number of years. And some of these birds have uh, bands on their legs, like colored bands. And by the series of colors, you can identify that bird to the spe a specific animal. And then you can know where it was, where it hatched, you know, where it migrates to, if it's been seen in all those places. And that particular bird was, individual bird was one that we both worked with uh, when uh, we were working together down at Cape Penelope in State Park. So it's bands that you put on the bird or that? Yes, yes, yes. They, they are bands that are put on the bird. And it is, it's, banding is a highly regulated and you have to have like a master bander as part of your team. So it's not something that we do lightly, let's put it that way. But the information you get from that is, is hugely important. So, so uh, since your, your career affects your poetry so much, what did, you know, what was your job? Uh, well, if you're involved with, probably this is true of so many fields, I know it is, but certainly if you're involved with uh, wildlife conservation, which is 
Like I put on my tax form, you know, what is your occupation? Wildlife biologist. Uh, and if you do that kind of work, you're going to do a whole bunch of different things. But the field section, and then I ended up managing teams that did this, uh, was working with these, what we call beach nesting birds. So these are all birds that have evolved to lay their eggs like out in the sand or back in the dunes, which worked wonderfully for about, you know, 20,000 years or so. And then we started to either recreate on the beach or, you know, throw a bunch of rocks on it so we could build buildings behind it, that sort of thing. So their habitat has been uh, reduced by oh, a solid 90% probably. So uh, this particular bird, the piping plover, uh, had the misfortune to have evolved to have nesting to nest down here on the Atlantic coast and that they nest uh well really the Atlantic coast and in the Mississippi uh, river systems uh but other birds that are just like them other plovers uh they actually nest up in Hudson Bay you know way way up north and they're not as affected at this point because they're not nesting in an area that we're uh recreating on or, or destroying one way or another yet you know with with climate change, there's going to be effects all over the, all over the planet. So how does the, you know, working with wildlife and trying to preserve it, how does that affect your values? I mean, it, it must I have think, a unique set of values. You know, I, I think, um, I mean, I've always loved the outdoors, which is one of the things that guided me into my career. So it's a, you know, a chicken and the egg kind of thing, you know, which came first. Uh, but one thing is, and this is true, like if, if you talk to a sociologist, I would think, uh, the more you learn about, in a sociologist's case, people, and a biologist's case, uh, animals and, and their systems, the more you can see how we all are, have a lot of the same behaviors and how a lot of things that, from my end, that people do with some of our interactions, many of our interactions, are mimicked with some of the behaviors that occur out in the natural world. So it kind of gives you like this more uh, three-dimensional perspective about why things happen and, and maybe sometimes how things can be improved. You know, like if we could improve the habitat of the poor, um, we would have better outcomes. Yeah, I, um, the way I relate to that, although I've spent a lot of time outdoors and but maybe not paying as much attention to nature as you have. But I see that in my dog. The dog that I have now that's 17 uh, was very angry and aggressive. Um, and I think he picked up some of that from me. And now I have a dog that's 10 bungalow uh, that's more mellow and chill. And I think some of that's inherent with who they are as, I was going to say as people, but who they are as animals, but some of that is, you know, reflection of, of a change in me over that time. And the two of us uh, kind of evolved, the dog and me evolved together. And so I, I very much see, you know, human traits in my dog. So I, that's the way I relate to what you're saying. Yeah, I, I completely agree. You know, and anybody who has a pet, uh, you know, is, is going to say, uh, if they've interacted with it, uh, that, you know, each animal has its own personality. And 
having had the opportunity to work with uh, in depth with a, with a number of different species and get to know individual birds, like in my picture back here, which you on the radio or the you know, the feed can't see. Trust me, there's a bird back behind me. Uh, you know, I you know I got to learn that each bird and especially each pair, you know, male, female with their with their chicks, behave differently. And if you can learn how they behave, you can make some predictions about the best way to protect them, to keep them safe. So yeah, yeah, uh, I think uh, that animal-human connection is a, a very uh, rich and deep one. Yeah, I wish we could be smart enough to know how to fix our current social problems by studying. Yeah, well, you know, and that, that's something I want to talk about a fair amount today, if, if, if we flow in that direction. It's sort of like, I, I'm, I guess I would say, politically, uh, I'm an um, incrementalist. How, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, there's ways to make big changes, but almost always it's the result of bunches of little changes that have prepared the stage for the big change. Mm -hmm. So I, I really do believe incrementally you can make a difference. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, you know, that on my tax forms, I say wildlife biologist for occupation. Sometimes when I'm, you know, you meet somebody new or, or something like that, and they ask me, you know, well, what do I do? Uh, I say, uh, I say I'm an activist and I really try to live my life with that, that thought process. And of course that, that played very much into my career because I thought that, you know, I feel like that's, you know, direct environmental activism. But, um, and you may, may have heard me say this before. I, I mean, I really believe that anytime you interact with someone, that's a political uh, situation. Uh, example, you know, like you, you leave your house and, you know, your neighbor's next door, you give them a wave. That, that's a, a, a political act. You're bringing people together or you don't wave, you know, you, you ignore them. Uh, and so each of us has this op opportunity in life to, uh, to make these little changes. And if you have to do that enough, 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 uh, you know, you can feel like if you live in a friendly neighborhood or a isolated neighborhood. And it makes a difference. You know, people always want to look at, often want to look at, uh, well, you know, who won the presidential elections or whatever, which is important. Uh, but, you know, how did that, how did the climate get to a situation where that individual gets elected? You know, it's all these little interactions. Yeah. And I know you talk a lot about that kind of thing on your podcast as well. Yeah. I, um... I think we spend way too much time worrying about Trump and what he does than the conditions that put Trump into office. I mean, it's, it, it's not an, you know, it's not an accident. Uh, he's there. And there was a lot of people hurting and that, you know, we're pushing back against the establishment. And I, I think he's an anti-establishment you know, candidate. Uh, and it's maybe proven too, uh, too difficult a pill to swallow, mm. which is good, but it, uh, but it's, uh, it, it's kind of like the pandemic and, um, uh, the murder, uh, I forgot his name, 
Um, uh, George Floyd. George Floyd. Just, just the most recent of many and many and many. But it, it's kind of like um, they all kind of highlight. Uh, someone was saying today, it's like the water level has dropped down and you can see what's below the surface. And Trump has been part of that wave of stuff that, you know, that let the water drain from the swamp, not the way that he meant it. But, and we can see all the problems underneath the surface, the inequalities, the racism. Uh, and he, he's just put a bright light on it, not not on purpose. He's just a part of the phenomenon. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he doesn't come out of a vacuum. Uh, yeah. And actually, it's interesting that you know, using that metaphor of the, uh, uh, you know, as water drains down. And of course, there's the one end of it, the uh, uh, draining the swamp, which as uh, someone who's interested in environmental, reg in, in environmental regulation, uh, yes, he is draining physical swamps. Uh, in order to, you know, have people build buildings on them. So there, there's that end of it. But the other thing that occurred to me just when you said that is there's a uh, Rudyard, Rudyard Kipling story called uh, The Peace Rock. Um, I don't know if, you, if you've heard about it. It's one of his short stories. And the concept there is in the jungle in India, in this case, uh, if there's a drought and the water in, in the watering hole gets low enough, um, the... Uh, there are a certain rock, you know, surfaces, you know, because the water gets low and the rocks underwater and all the animals in the jungle, the predators, the prey, they agree that when the peace rock is shown and the water's that low, that they all can share the, the, the pool, the pond without anyone hunting there. So uh, I kind of can see where we're hopefully maybe in that situation too, that, you know, our, you know, I don't, I don't know what the metaphor of our water situation is, but as things get more challenging, maybe it can help pull us together. Sometimes things have to get worse than better. Well, your yeah. poem yeah. this morning that I heard you read um, is very much taking nature and bringing it into our current situation. Maybe that'd be a good uh, time for you to read that poem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let me see. I've got uh, a number of poems I pulled out. And because of this situation we're in, especially in the last couple weeks, although, you know, I would argue that it's been going on much, much longer than that. Uh, a lot of these poems are going to have a political feel to them. But as we've said, a lot of them are going to use nature to, to get at whatever I'm trying trying to explain. So I, I think I'll pull out uh, the one that's the most like that. Um, hang on a second. Okay, so uh, this one is called Jaws, uh, informed by the movie Jaws. And this is something that the one that I'm gonna have to have the, the note about um, anatomy of a shark. Many of predators, and sharks are a good example, they have something that's called a nictating membrane that is like, kind of like an eyelid. It's an additional eyelid. And when they're going in for the big bite, this membrane comes up on, on the eyes that'll protect it in case, you know, I don't know, like, let's say bones come out of the prey and go to poke the eye or, you know, it's thrashing around, whatever. So I use that term nictating membrane. So here's the poem. It's called Jaws. Sharks are beautiful animals 
nearly perfect at what they do. But I don't want one for my president. Heartless, soulless, mindless, saucer eyes rolled back, blind, behind nictating membranes. The main difference between a shark and our current president is that I believe that sharks have souls. Um, a predator grown so large is an aberration, an anomaly. As the sea-fearing sheriff said in the movie, when the villain said in the movie when the villain surfaced and showed its toothy grin, the sheriff said, "We're going to need a bigger boat." As I am saying, even before the primary, we need the current prey, and I am among the schooling and afraid. We need to get out and vote. So that's Jaws. I like that. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, there, there's plenty of reason and opportunity to be angry these days, and expressing that anger is is not a bad thing. But you know, putting the anger to good use is is what I think is the best goal. Okay, here it is. I got it. So yeah, this, this is the more topical one. Um, so it's called uh, stay safe. I'm sure you've heard that phrase once or twice uh, in the last, you know, three months. Uh, I say it to my children all the time. So stay safe uh, with a, a subtitle uh, in parentheses, uh, with a hearty hug to Donald Trump and a humble bow to COVID-19. So stay safe. Move softly across this land. A ravening beast has arisen and is prowling. Bones and skulls are scattered before its den and its den is everywhere. Move singly across this land. Keep to the shadows and lonely spaces. The beast and his bandits wear masks and might be everyone. Move with eyes wide open. Tune your ears. Scent the air. The beast is tasteless and thirsty. Don't touch. Don't ever touch anyone. While we keep, our, while we keep to our hearths, the beast is roaming, expanding his range, is empowering his minions. They will try to infect every body. When the beast has abandoned this realm, When the beast has abandoned, abandoned this realm, everyone, everybody, anyone, everywhere, stay safe, stay safe. Don't let the beast take refuge in your den. So that's stay safe. I'm gonna, I have to go back and listen to that again. I wasn't quite sure what the beast was. You know, uh, I think that's a very astute, uh, um, observation because uh, you know as I wrote it for first go through I kind of unconsciously changed where I was going with it and the definition of, of you know who the beast was now part of it is you know it's really the the two together uh, in this case COVID and our man up top uh, but I, it, that is something that I knew as I wrote it and even as I you know related because I wrote that one just a few days ago um, 
I need to make it more clear and concise, like, like you've talked about. Uh, you know, I need, need to pare it down certain ways or, or sharpen it or whatever. Um, but I definitely like the idea I'm trying to get across. So I guess the next one I'm going to read uh, has to do with um, uh, healthcare and some of my challenges. I, I have some mobility issues, as, as you know, I'm sure. Um, but this one's called um, Finding My Feet. So here it goes. Every time I get out of bed or get up from a chair, every time I rise up, I must spend an instant finding my feet. I don't know where seven of my toes are now, but I know where I left them. It amazes me that the less my feet take up physically, the more they take up mentally, emotionally. Every morning I look into a mirror at my feet. My memory searches my past and any smudge that I see jolts adrenaline into my system. No need for caffeine this morning. So I, so I rise up, I find my feet, then move forward. I try to never look back. My balance isn't good enough for that yet. Foresight and hindsight have shown me how to best keep up my humor. I may laugh like a hyena in the night because once I stop, I might bring my club to bear. Mm -hmm. Finding my feet. Wow, that's pretty well done. It's about all of us finding our feet and trying to move forward. Yep. Society right now. That actually kind of fits into uh, the current political situation. Yeah, I, oh, I agree. And I think one of the things I look for in a poem is that it's got, uh, it's not stuck in one particular time. Yeah. You know, now sometimes there are ones that are just very much like, you know, for example, the, the, uh, the George Floyd poem, um, because I'm using one particular individual as, as the, uh, uh, foundation for the poem, you know, I, that may or may not work in the future. You know, I, I could probably doctor it. So it was more, uh, well, it may work for a long damn time. I'm hoping that necessary. it's big enough that it works. It yeah. becomes a, it becomes a slogan. George Floyd becomes a, a slogan or, you know, I can yeah. breathe maybe. Cause this one is called an, another and I guess I'll preface this by saying, uh, you know, I wasn't brought up, I was brought up in a fairly suburban situation. Um, and I didn't live in a war zone. I don't now live in a war zone. But even so, these things that I'm going to say in this poem are, are absolutely true and not exaggerated. So this one's called Another. I have one friend whose father tried to kill her. Another whose mother was killed in front of him when he was eight. Another whose family did to her things so unspeakable that now, at age 76, she still can't talk to me about it. Another, another, another. Even one other is too many. The best I can do is try to make no one the other to me. 
the least I can do is vote in lawmakers who are interested in protecting every one of us. So that's another. Wow, that's, that's pretty powerful. And we live in a very aggressive environment. Yeah. Yeah. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have that source material to work with, you know, again, you know, I, like with my upbringing, you would think that I'd less likely to have that, but sadly, I think so many other people have this in their, in their circles, whether it's, you know, uh, my heart goes out to the people that were brought up inside that kind of environment. It's too much. Shall I give it a whirl? Go for it. Okay, so this one is called Fish School and Zebras Have Stripes. They say that fish school and zebras have stripes so that predators can't focus in on a single target. 27 May 2020 was one of those days where the herds of evils swirled around me and I lost track. First, I learned that T. Rump was perched to pull us out of the World Health Organization in the heart of a global pandemic. Then, immediately afterwards, some putrescent item about further deflowering of the Endangered Species Act. Her distraction clouds specifics for me at this remove. Okay, that's all par for the course. I stepped out of the ring to make some food and savor a quiet meal savor a quiet meal. Then I chromed back on, broke trail towards my email. This guy named Floyd kept infiltrating my feed, George Floyd. I looked into it. After that, I was pretty raw. I am pretty raw. Damn it, remember, recall, we are not the prey. We've all got predator in us, maybe a lot. We got teeth that can chomp, and grind and tear shit up. We can eat anything we hunger after, and it is for us to decide what we're going to swallow. Focus, find an issue, know almost everything about a few things and press your advantage. Think, compare, follow the trail, don't lose track. If we all follow towards the truth of the trails we know, we will all gather at the same watering hole but arrive from different paths. And I could write this all out like in a classic English literature form and balance it up, but fuck it. It feels right, right now, right now. And anyway, there ain't no way to make it pretty or even equitable. So I'm going to pass out, pass around that first taste that came into my mouth at the 27 May Raw Bar. And if the taste is acrid to you, as it is to me, spit it out and aim it well with surgical precision. A poem titled George Floyd. A moment of silence. How about four minutes of pleading? How about eight minutes and 46 seconds of brutal, literal, lethal oppression? How about a life sentence for a murderer or four? How long, how long, how long, my God? So in conclusion, remember, recall, 
This ain't no goddamn blue plate special. Not this time. Not this time. We've paid an adult price for this buffet, and we can come back as many times as we like until we are satisfied. Wow. So that's how I feel. Well, the, the, it's, it's almost like it, it's the preface, preface, preface to the poem and then the poem. And it's kind of a, like you said, a poem inside of a poem. Yeah. Yeah. And that's always, uh, you know, writing it and because I think I'd written the George Floyd thing, you know, just, you know, an hour before or something like that with no real intention of using it necessarily here in that particular, in the zebras have stripes uh, piece. But then, you know, it felt like that was the right thing to do. And then as, you know, like a former English major, among other things, I said, okay, well, if I do that one in order to balance it up, you know, to make it more like a proper, you know, properly a uh, formatted poem or whatever, I should be doing something more, uh, I should have another poem about like, the political situation, you know, as far, yeah. And I thought, well, you know, I can do that and I may do that, but the important thing I wanted to get out right then is that how I felt and how, and if anybody else felt in that, felt that way as well, that um, here's an expression of it. Mm -hmm. 